Because yesterday's future, which is already here, ready here, ready here, ready here, meet today's future, which is about to happen, and tomorrow's future, which could be just minutes away. Welcome to Technology Revolution, the future of now, where host Bonnie D. Graham asks savvy futurists for their predictions about the tech-driven trends that are shaping our future right now. Here's your host, who will take us into the future of now, Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you to the voice of Ryan Treasure, the future of now. I'm just going to put my hands up in the air. Welcome. This is part two of a topic we did a couple months ago. I'm so excited and actually honored to have my guests back because I know they're all extremely busy and extremely smart and extremely engaged and involved in their projects. So I'm I'm absolutely thrilled. We're missing one guest and we're hoping she still shows up. But I want to tell you that I I don't remember on part one, Carrie and Julie and Bill and Courtney, if I asked ChatGPT to write a poem for my mom. Monologue. And I did for today, but I will tell you that it's not pure AI. Uh, I had a guest on my show yesterday who said to me, how long does it take you to get the poem for the show? And I said, well, I say to ChatGPT, you please use this text and write some verses for my opening monologue. And it usually takes it about three seconds. I have clocked it. Courtney, I really clocked it. Three seconds. But yeah, I know, because I, I, I'm sure you've done it too. And then I do the human editing part. That usually takes between four and eight minutes. So full disclosure, let's say eight minutes and three seconds. That's about how long it takes. So here we go. Here's today's poem. Welcome to Technology Revolution's Grand Stage, where futurists at our mic share predictions savvy and sage. You've been warned. Courtney Sage. Bonnie D in the house on her tech trailblazing quest, an exciting journey through time and tech with the future at her behest. Picture this scene in days of yore. Julie, are you picturing it? Light flashing mainframes all aurora, core dump green bar reams to be scanned by Bonnie D and other coders across the land. Bill's liking this. Oh, have machines have shrunken in size, yet grown in might in the decades since then, a technological flight. Today's episode has a visionary scope, teaching tech's future predictions of hope. Beyond just coding, a curriculum's twist, math, science, and language, today's tech imbued tryst. Oh, Practical applications, experiential and grand, connecting gazillions of dots along the vast fiber strand. Cyber strand, sorry about that. AI, the teacher's assistant, a digital guide, tailoring learning on knowledge's side, virtual and augmented for the future we glean, a partnership profound in the tech education scene. Now, when I, rate, when I call your name, you have to wave. I welcome back Carrie Getz and Courtney Pop, their vision bright, Bill Clayman, Dr. Sharon Jones, we hope she's coming, and Julie Aruli, shining the light. In this symphony of minds, a harmonious brew, we explore the future of computer education and AI. Today is part two. We'll educate, enlighten, inspire, we avow on technology revolution. Join us now in this hour envisioning visioning tech ed's embrace. Bonnie D leads the show with energy and grace. So what'd you all think? Carrie's very awesome. good. Very good. Very well. <laughs> that yeah. cool? It was a little bit long. And sometimes I'll say to, to chat GPT, please shorten it for me. And it doesn't, you know, they take out, they don't know where the guts to take out of it. So I just left this long because I knew you're all a good uh -huh. audience. So thank you very much. So welcome back everyone. And back in the day when I was going through my training, I have two degrees in computer science and operations. Um, we called it computer science. We didn't call it tech ed. We, we called it kind of different things. And I think I remember telling you all on part one that women 
girls were equal in weight, in, in priority for hiring, for coding. It wasn't a, oh, she's a girl. She doesn't know how to do this. She's going to play with her dolls. It wasn't happening then. I don't know why. And something has changed over the years. But I did a show with Sharon Jones a couple of weeks ago and people from the, the Dottie Rose Foundation organization on the future of girls who code. And that was an interesting show. So let's go around the table. Now, I did the math and here's the speaking order for today. Uh, let's see. We have Carrie and then Courtney. We have Bill, Sharon if she shows up, and then Julie. Okay. So I did the math and I, in fairness, you all ranked about the same. Um, I figured out with my AI calculator that around the world, around the globe with my audience, listeners and viewers alike, there are about 16.7923 people who don't remember any of you. That's all. So if you divide that by four, that's not too bad, right? So why don't you talk to those darn 16-whatever people? I want to know about the point eight two three. I'm always worried about them. So Carrie, I'm going to put you on speaker view. Would you please refresh us? What have you been up to? What are you doing? And then we'll go around the table. Welcome back, everyone. Carrie? Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, I've been off promoting books and uh, I have a children's book that should be out hopefully by the end of next week in time for Christmas. It's all about the data center industry. And so yeah, that's what I've been working on. I've been using AI to help create some of the illustrations, have a little education there. But um, yeah, so it's, it's been a lot of fun and still doing consulting, still doing writing. So yeah. And then I sleep on Thursdays. <laughs> do, do you have <laughs> breakfast once in a while? <laughs> no, I skip breakfast. <laughs> Carrie, I know you do a lot of keynotes. I, that's where I met you at Information Week. I was moderating a panel and you were the first one up and I, I that was a five-hour hosting day. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Carrie, any, anything you're doing special around the world you'd like to share with us before I move on? Um, I think one of the things that I've kind of started doing when I'm talking to students and people that are potentially coming into the industry is really trying to make them understand what their part is in the industry and how to be better consumers. Because, you know, we do have a great big demand for tech. It is using a lot of power. And I think that one thing that we have really lacked industry-wide as a whole is teaching consumers how to be better consumers of tech. And maybe think twice before you send that seven thousandth snap of the day. <laughs> so I do think you know, it, as much as data center companies have really worked to be more energy efficient and be more green, the part that we're missing is teaching our consumers how to play along. And so, yeah, that's kind of what where I've been at lately. Thank you very much. Green is good. Let's move around the table. Bill Clayton, Bill's always ready. That's fine. I'm going to go to full screen on Bill so we can get Courtney off the screen here for a second. Bill, go ahead. Holy cow! Setting the stage for yeah. that. It's it's. I mean, it's it's a hot moment with Courtney. It's that's awesome. All right. Uh, good good luck. Hopefully everything's okay there. Hey everybody, I'm I'm Bill Clayman, uh, board member and lead technologist over at a little company called Neuro. And uh, I think since the last time we've spoke, my life continues to revolve around. Hang on a second. This is an acronym maybe you haven't heard about yet. AI. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've uh, we we've been working on some really special solutions to democratize these solutions and uh, AI specifically. Yeah, we're not going to get into the, the the details of it, but really kind of bringing it down to anybody who wants to use these kinds of technologies to do some really special things. It's been busy. I've been globe trotting. Uh, I've been speaking all over the place, and um, actually been having a chance to speak with with students now from all parts of the world. I actually had a chance to speak with a few that attended a conference over in New Zealand. And my goodness, it was a bit of an eye-opening, good conversation to have with 
uh, learning about what excites them, but also maybe some of the challenges they're experiencing in, in, in places that are pretty much everywhere. Very, very interesting. What was it like? You were in New Zealand? That must have been a long trip, yes? Uh, it was a 16 and a half hour flight from from Chicago uh, straight to New Zealand, to Auckland. Um, and my goodness, like let's 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 just cut right through it. It's no wonder this thing is on people's bucket list. Um, outside of hanging out in Auckland, I actually had a chance to go to visit. Hang on a second, the Shire. It's about two and a half hours away. I mean, I'm not kidding. I'm I'm, I'm standing there. I'm like, oh my god, Gandalf smoked his pipe there. Bag End is over there. We'll build over <laughs> and Mary and Pippin hang out over there by the pond. And then I sat down with my buddy Nabil Mahmoud. Um, who, by the way, Nomad Futurist shout out, also doing some really cool things with young people. We sat down at the Green Dragon Inn and had a drink. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm pretty sure Aragorn used to hang out back there. And it was the most amazing thing ever. Now, uh, that being said, um, the the conversation, we went, to, uh, we went to New Zealand and we actually went to speak at the W Media keynote event. And we had students there. And my goodness, they were like, Bill. What an amazing industry. How do I break into it? Because this part of the world remarkably feels disconnected, a little bit far away from everybody else, but we are just as connected as anybody. How do I become a part of this industry? How do I get excited? And is there more opportunity here in New Zealand and Australia? Um, and it was it was a really wonderful conversation to learn more about the up-and-coming world of connectivity um, and really how... AI has no boundaries. It, it doesn't. When we start training this data, it needs a home. And places like New Zealand and Australia, here's a secret, that's a home for GPU farms eventually. So these young people are going to have a home eventually to learn somewhere more about this important technology tool that, that everybody is using. So it was fascinating, Bonnie. I'm glad. I'm glad I asked you, Bill. I wish you brought a little enthusiasm to the show. I, I, I always, I always hey, wonder about you. Don't you, Carrie? You worry about it every time yes. I see Bill. I'm like, you know, dude, you just really got to come out of your shell. <laughs> Bill, what we all want to know is number one, do you sleep, and number two, what do you have for breakfast? At least I want to know. Just tell me. I, I promise I do sleep. It is a protein bar and a big cup of coffee, and that's 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 really it. But I mean, you asked me about New Zealand. I mean, we're talking about like hobbits and dragons and wizards. Here. It's amazing. I love it. We got. I'm going to have to do a show on that. Yeah. You bring me three of your friends. I don't know. <laughs> Very, Bill. Thank you, Courtney. Are you okay? Is the building okay? Oh, yeah. I mean, the building might be on fire, but I'm on my balcony, so it's all good. I don't think it's on fire. I think <laughs> you, someone just cooked a little, a little enthusiastic breakfast. You are my champion. <laughs> so I'm going to put you on speaker view, and now you can talk to the point eight two three seven nine whatever. Go ahead, Courtney. Fabulous. Thank you so much for being patient with me. My uh, name is Courtney Pop, and I get to be the Director of Education Programs for an organization called Infrastructure Masons. And we are an industry association that represents people who are employed in the digital infrastructure industry. Uh, so we know everybody else on this call I, through membership and all of our partnerships. One thing that I'm working on recently that is really, really exciting is a uh, joint effort with a nonprofit based here in the United States, but they are global, called Jason Learning. They are um, helping us in partnership with industry partners to launch a K-12 curriculum specifically about digital infrastructure. So this is going to live online. It's going to reach 6 million high school students when it launches for Data Center Day, hopefully, fingers crossed, next year. Um, and this is going to teach students and then by those dinner table conversations, their parents, all about digital infrastructure. What is a data center? What does it do? And why is it important? I can see Carrie salivating about this, right? Yeah. This is, oh, Carrie this knows. Is, 
This is so cool. Somebody else is doing this too. Courtney, yeah. thank you. And you sound pretty good for a girl on a balcony. I can say girl, a Hi. woman on a balcony. Not bad. Very creative. Thank you. I appreciate that. And Andrew, just my engineer just noted to you, he said, uh, sounds fine. No worries. So you've been, you've been approved by me and Andrew. That's all. Everybody else. Love it. Okay with it. Okay. Let's go around the table one more time. Julie and I had a long discussion about how to pronounce your last name and whether that first letter <laughs> is an L or an I. And it turns yeah, it depends out, on the font, right? It, it does. <laughs> and I tried everything. And she told me some stories about not being able to check into hotels around the world. But in Italy, they understand. So... Julie, I'm putting you on speaker view. Just pronounce it so everybody knows. Go ahead. It is Julie Irui. And give us your bio. Refresh us. Talk to those 8.732 people. So what I'm going to talk about today is I am on, uh, I'm the vice president of 7 by 24 Exchange. And Courtney did a great job of being a straight man for telling you a little bit about some of the things I actually created International Data Center Day with the support of 7 by 24 And International Data Center Day is all about how we get new people into the industry, how do we provide opportunity, and it is, we have a, a website where any of the industry members can come in and put their content 7 by 24 really hosted for the industry. So it's really been great. We have tools and information about scholarships, we have activities, and it's all supported by all the people in the industry. So internationaldatacenterday.org, for those who are interested, please Google it. Um, every year in March, we celebrate International Data Center Day, and we also have opportunities for people to engage and materials that they can use so folks in the industry can go out and help attract that next generation. Um, I also have women in mission critical operations. So you were talking about women in the industry. It's really one of the things I'm very proud of. We started with a table service for eight. Carrie's was one of the founding people involved. Uh, and we now have thousands of women engaged. And we have um, 18 communities within our 28 chapters at this point. So it's really been great to be able to lead that and develop it. And it really provides camaraderie opportunity for women to have leadership position on boards where there were formerly no positions. And the other thing I'm really excited about is that a lot of the women who were leading the WIMCO communities are now presidents of their chapters. So it's really been a great journey to watch that happen. So. A lot of things I'm really proud of and excited about as we continue to build on that. Thank you very much. Do you ever sleep, Julie? <laughs> no, she does not. <laughs> I'm so impressed with the four of you, really. And and again, very honored that you're taking the time to be with me today. Uh, the next generation is what we're talking about. Computer science, computer ed, tech ed, however you want to, not that tech ed, technology education. That's what we're talking about. But it is important. And what I like to think of is the excitement of being in this field. Because when I was learning uh, computer operations and when I was learning how to program in so many languages, every time I got my code to work, every time I could get by with maybe one syntax error out of a thousand or two thousand lines of COBOL or PL1, I jumped up and I said, wow, look at what I did. It was exciting. It felt like I had created something that 
nobody else in the world was going to code it exactly the way I did. Right, Carrie? Right, Julie? Right, Courtney? That is correct. Right, Bill? And there's, there's, and people say, oh, science isn't creative. Hell with that. Of course it is. Of course <laughs> it is. We're creating Accounting everything. isn't creative, or at least they frown on that. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not supposed to be. Creative. <laughs> yeah. so accounting shouldn't be creative. Emails. This is on LinkedIn Live. Half of it is accountants. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's all right. There's a special place not, for accountants. Not my know? audience, honey. But not they my do audience. frown on creativity and accounting. I think that's, you know, punishable yeah. by... We don't do politics here, Carrie. I think that's punishable by law. Inspired. Yeah. We, we don't do politics here, Carrie. So now it's the part of the show we're going to go to the quotes. You've each been asked, and you've been very, very well-behaved so, so far. I'm not sure about this group. Uh, you've I've asked you to pick a quote from a fictional character in a movie or a TV show or a song lyric, and you're going to relate it in your own words to what we're talking about today, the future of... And we got to get AI in the picture here because that's the theme, the future of educating people on technology and AI. So here we go. Carrie Getz has picked a quote from a song, song by Stevie Nicks, performed by Fleetwood Mac back in 19... So Bill saying, what this world could this be? The song is called Landslide. Stevie Nicks wrote it when she was 27 while she was contemplating going back to school or continuing professionally with guitarist Lindsey Buckingham, who she was... I'm sorry, whom she was financially supporting by working as a waitress and a cleaning lady. I think we just need to let that sit there for a second. As of 2017, this song has sold 2,093,186 copies in the U.S. It's number 163 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time from two years ago in 2021. And here is the line Carrie has picked. Can't wait for this one. Will the landslide bring you down? Question mark. Carrie, you want to sing it? You want to play it? My drums. Are really <laughs> Carrie, how'd you pick this one? How'd you find what does it have to do with our topic? Go ahead. Because I think that there's such a landslide of new technology and things that are coming down the pike, right? Everybody's look, working on AI. We're building language models. Some of those language models are definitely better than others. Garbage in, garbage out is still wholly applicable in this scenario. <laughs> But I do think that in a lot of cases, technology can be overwhelming. And we all know how to be consumers of technology, but we don't know how to be good consumers of technology. We don't know what we're exposing ourselves to. You know, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and said, you know, you really need to watch the apps you put on your phone because, you know, there's some of those are, are not particularly good apps and they don't always protect your privacy and stuff like that. And And this person said, oh, well, I gave up my privacy years ago for my own personal convenience and I thought, oh, see, and this is the kind of this is the kind of terminology that that this is where people get hurt from technology is that they just assume somebody else is taking care of their security, somebody else is taking care of their privacy, and I think the more that people use and consume technology and the more they put out there, the more exposure they have and one bad actor, you know, can absolutely create a landslide. So yeah, that's why I picked that one. And and I think that we're particularly vulnerable right now because AI, as much as it's a tool for good, has the equal potential to be a tool for bad. And mm -hmm. it speeds up the manner that people can farm information from other people. And it speeds up the manner in which ne'er-do-wellers could 
ne'er do well. <laughs> That's another show, but a point well taken, Carrie. A point well taken. And what concerns me is the the advent of low code, no code solutions, where enterprises are saying to their people, "You may not sit on the a the IT side of the room or in that department, even if it's right. virtual, but we want you to start creating stuff so we can get stuff done better." I'm using the word stuff a lot. Better and quicker and sooner. Just make up your own stuff. And then the question of AI is now saying. You can create in overnight, in a matter of minutes, your own AI mentor, and you can do this and you can do that. So it's an explosion of options and opportunities to use a little bit of education to go a long way. The question is, where are we going? And that is another topic. So thank you, Carrie. Let me move on to Courtney. Courtney has picked a line from Nathan Brand, played by Robbie Amel, A-M-E-L-L, Upload. Oh, I started to watch this and I couldn't handle it. It's a 2020 American sci-fi comedy drama. I love the way they mash the genres together. Comedy drama sci-fi TV show 2020. To, it's still going on. Created by Greg Daniels. It premiered on Amazon Prime Video on May 1st, 2020. Okay, here's the synopsis. In 2033, a time humans can upload, those are air quotes, kids, themselves into a virtual afterlife of their choosing when computer programmer Nathan Brown, our hero here, dies prematurely. And I remember I saw that scene. He's uploaded to a very expensive place called Lakeview. Then he finds himself under the thumb. Everybody put the thumb. Come on, I want to see all your thumbs. Under the thumb, Bill, that's it, of his possessive, still living girlfriend, Ingrid. I'm just going to stop there. So here is the quote Courtney has picked. You don't run away from something you know is right just because there's a couple bumps in the road. Oh, Courtney, pray tell. What does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. So I think it's actually interesting. Carrie and I did not coordinate on this at all. Um, but we what did, I want to say <laughs> yeah, to Carrie is uh, uh, my quote is pretty much a direct rebuttal to hers uh, in a lot of ways. <laughs> also, my middle name is Rhiannon. My mother swears that it's not because she's a Fleetwood Mac fan, but I've got her number. I know, I know. Um, in any event, so my quote, uh, we see, I think, in the media and in a lot of the more popular uh, consumption media, a lot of fear about AI, about artificial intelligence, about uh, the ways, like Carrie said, that this can be a force for evil. But I think that that does not mean it's not worth doing. I think that just means it's worth doing well. And so I think that as we continue to have these conversations, it is worthwhile to talk about responsible guardrails and things things that we as an as an industry and that we as people individuals can do to make sure that if the bad actors exist and when they exist because they will that's inevitable what can we do to protect ourselves and our friends and our family and our society all part of i don't education. think that's a rebuttal though saying the same thing the same thing is you know there's just so much out there and so much available that it's just kind of daunting to try to figure out how to do yeah. it right, right? Yep. And, and then that raises the question, our topic today is the future of teaching technology and AI. Mm -hmm. Where is the focus? Is it on the low code, no code? Is it on the traditional code, which I did and a lot of you do? Is it on, as Carrie says, the con consumption? How do we become consumers of users of uh, appreciators of technology? Is it where are the guardrails? Where are the ethics? It's a huge topic. So we're going to cover a lot today. Thank you, both of you, for your interesting quotes. And now let's go to Bill Clayman. Bill has picked a quote from Loki, played by Tom Hiddleston. Not Huddleston. I think there's an actor named Tom Huddleston. American TV series 2021-2022 on the streaming service Disney+, Plus, based on the Marvel 
Comics. It's the third TV series in the Marvel MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe, produced by Marvel Studios. It takes place after the events of the film Avengers Endgame 2019, where an altered, I hope you're enjoying this, Bill, where an alternate version of Loki is created, created a new timeline. Oh, my. Okay, here's the quote, and I have a little bit of the scene that preceded the quote, Bill. So before this, there's a dialogue. You see, I know something that children don't. And the other person says, what's that? And here's the Loki line, that no one bad is ever truly bad, and no one good is ever truly good. Oh, my. Shades of meaning. Bill, rescue me. What is this? Oh, my gosh. You know, ever since I heard that, and by the way, the, the TV show, which just ended, uh, was was a really cool exploration of a character, right? It really watched this growth of a person. But in, in my experience and in my career, I, I kind of want to leave the message with don't deal with absolutes, right? So, like, there there's no there's no, you know, you, you need to see the bigger picture with anything. Even a broken watch can be right two times a day. And and one of the things that I, I've learned in my experience is that you, you have to read between the lines and and never put yourself in a position where you're back into a corner. Being able to see the big picture, so again, something is it is it bad if it's truly bad? This goes back to our conversation around well, there we go, the acronym that we've been talking about, AI, right? Um, where we've got these two really diverging points of view. And you know, the challenge is that this this is a technology that's a part of our future. Every single person listening right now, every one of you has used Google or Bing in the last, I don't know, hour, day or so, and all of you have officially used generative AI. Congratulations, because the first Mm -hmm. response you get is no longer a pretty blue link. It's not. It's a generative AI response. So whether you like it or not, this is a part of our future. And I think the most important thing here is that, you know, see the good in it. Now, a couple of really interesting points. Now, uh, Bonnie, you mentioned coding. I took computer science classes, and I, this is totally an askew statement here. I remember I used to dream the code, especially if I went to bed knowing that there was an error in the code that I wrote, and I couldn't know what it is. And I, sometimes I would like dream about it and wake up, and that's when I knew that I was not going to be a programmer because that's not something I wanted to do. <laughs> and, and, and another, another really interesting. I'm counting parentheses in my sleep, yeah. but that's yeah. that's what we do. That's how we live. That's how we solve our. I used I used to wake up in the middle of the night, Bill. I used to leave pencil and paper by my bed when I was in my teens in high school, and I would solve a math problem from the homework that day and I wake up oh it's 9023.9 and I'd write it down and go back to sleep so the brain just keeps on working I, it's it's too much if I start dreaming about it now one more point back to Courtney yes. and Carrie listen I I agree with you there's going to be malicious actors out there and it's actually kind of funny I, I have this signature in this really special book it says Bill <laughs> keep up the fight and you know what mm-hmm. I will and I will and thank you Carrie for signing my book uh, I, really, I really appreciate that. Um, and, and it's, Thanks it's for the great, plug. It's a great <laughs> book. No, I, I do appreciate it. And I, I just kind of, kind of rounding it off back to you know that no one truly bad is ever truly bad, and no one truly good is is ever truly good. Um, it's just keeping an open perspective and supporting those people in your life that are trying to do good, the good things and identifying the people that maybe need a little bit of correction in their ways and, and what they're trying to do with this industry. Sometimes you know the best intentions need a little bit of a course correction. Um, I, I really feel that the most important point of the statement for everybody listening, whether you like Marvel or not, is is just don't deal in absolutes and, and do your best to always have an open perspective on anything that comes at you. Thank you. And I remember the night, you may have heard me say this on the part one show a couple months ago. I remember the night when I got a call at 345 in the morning from the operator in the computer room. 
bill. And instead of saying, oh, what a bad person, he's calling me waking up, I said, okay, Bob, what's up? And he said, you had an ABEND on card number 1,323. What would you like me to do? Now, an ABEND, for those of you who don't know in the audience, is that's bad that's day. The, pro bad, the, bar the program stops. It comes to a halt. Something is wrong. It's not, it ABEND's, it aborts. Okay. So he said, what do you want me to do? And this was production, overnight mass production. It needed, the reports needed to be run. So I closed my eyes. I said, give me a second, Bob. I don't remember his name. And I sat there in the dark, foot of the bed. And I said, okay, I want you to go back. You said card number 1063. Okay. I want you to go back three cards. I want you to put a Y into the operator's console. And I want you to rerun it from three cards ago. I'm going to sit here in the dark and I'm going to not do anything for about five minutes. I'm hanging up the phone now. And if it runs, don't call me back. If there's a problem, I'm either going to have to drive a half hour to come in or we'll just have to put it on hold until I get there at eight o'clock in the morning. So he hung up, I hung up and I sat there on the edge of the bed and I waited. I gave him a good five, six, seven, eight minutes. He never called back and it ran just fine. So Bill, we knew, we knew our code. We knew our 2000 cards. We knew mm -hmm. the top down, that was COBOL. No, that was a PL1 program. And we knew how we structured it and where things were. We lived, ate and breathed our code. At least that's the way I did it. So I found it very exciting. So thank you, Bill, for the good memories. I appreciate that. And Bob wasn't bad. He was just doing his job. So there we go. Bob did his job. Let's go to Julie Hyruli. Mm -hmm. And Julie has picked a quote from Dreaming Out Loud, a debut studio album by the pop rock band One Republic, one word, capital O, capital R, from 2007. Uh, the the Wikipedia on this was a little confusing. They said they started in Colorado, then they started in Los Angeles. I got confused. They're a pop rock band formed in Colorado by Ryan Tedder and his high school classmate, Zach Wilkins, with guitarist, keyboardist Drew Brown, drummer Eddie Fisher, and bassist, cellist Brent Kutzel. They worked in the studio for two and a half years on their first full-length album, and then two months before release, they were dropped by their label, Columbia Records, after two and a half years. They were an unsigned act in MySpace, so popular, they were the number one band in MySpace who was not signed. Uh, anyway, I forgot they, all about MySpace. Yeah. yeah, they said the album, critics said the album sounded derivative, it mimicked popular trends, apparently Tedder wrote for other people very, very, it was unoriginal. Anyway, they figured it out and it was released after a successful remix. So here's the line Julie has selected, dreaming out loud and all at once, it is so familiar to see. Okay, I'm getting deja vu here. Julie, talk to me. So, you know, one of the things about AI and really as you go to use or create prompts, and you think about what are your goals? Like you're, Carrie's looking at doing illustrations. And I feel like when I use, and maybe I've, I started out as an art major, so maybe I'm thinking about this from a different perspective, is that when I go to create something, whether it be a writing, visuals, you know, I do sometimes feel like, especially when using AI, I have to like, think about it. And then basically AI is making it real. It's bringing it into the presence. And I feel like as we go forward, it is going to be a combination of technology and humanism and our creativity that's going to advance things. Um, I know there's going to be a lot of ne'er-do-wells and people who have bad thoughts around what we can do. But I also think that AI is going to enable so many great things that we people may not have been able to do on their own. 
Um, and it's also going to combine things. You know, I, I put in one of my predictions about how, you know, engineering and architecture, you know, I think there's the, the careers and what we're going to be doing is going to have a symbiotic nature so that if you can think it and dream it, we'll, we'll be able to help make it through technology and AI and machine learning. So I see the impact being great and numerous. So I really think that we have a lot to think about. And, you know, if you can dream it, you can make it. Thank you very much. Very, a lot of optimism and positivity in there. We had we had we had some very, uh, shall we say, dangerous interpretations of the quotes. But I'm I'm looking for the positivity. I'm looking for the optimism. So thank you very much. Thank you all. Very interesting quotes. And by the way, I have to tell you, Julie, that I didn't finish reading the wisdom on the band. The album that took two and a half years to make followed two years of massive success on MySpace's music top artists since early 2006 and the song plays for this one dreaming out loud 28 million song plays i don't know what they did with columbia records or where they went after that but i thought it was very very interesting so thank you all for the quotes let's move on it's time for our predictions and carrie gets i have put your prediction number two into the chat and i'm going to ask you to pay attention to a certain two words in there what i highlighted for you she says i predict curriculum changes to improving solution sets, paying particular attention to coder bias. Too many people have their own opt. Oh, Bill likes that. Too many people, he's going to get ready to make a comment. I know. Too many people have their own optics to pour over sets. Subjective sets prove tricky. That's a little bit of jargon in there. Can you unpack that for <laughs> me, please, Carrie? Let's focus on, on bias and, and how education can help avert it, prevent it, moderate it, tone it down. I don't know where we're going with that. Carrie, go ahead. Well, I, to me, so this is one of the areas that I think diversity is so important in our industry because, and I don't, when I say diversity, I'm not talking about anything that follows anybody's identity in any way, shape or form. When I talk about diversity, I talk about fingerprints because every single person's needs for technology is going to be very different. And when I talked about the landslide, it wasn't just the ne'er-do-wells. I think it's just the volume of information and trying to sort through to be that human element so you can pick out the good stuff and the bad stuff and figure out what's going to work for you. But the same thing holds true with coder bias, right? If we don't have everybody represented in tech, then they're not going to be represented in AI and they're not going to be represented across the board, right? So tech is not going to work for them. In those cases, they'll work for tech, right? They'll work and try to make that technology work for them, but it's not going to do that. I've got a, a grandchild that's neurodiverse, right? Very different way to learn. I think AI is one of those areas in education where kids can ask common sense things the way that it works in their brain because our brains don't work. <laughs> Nobody's brain works like my brain and everybody is grateful for that. But, um, <laughs> but you know, if you think about the way people just frame a question, right? I used to teach college and in the front of my classroom, I was teaching um, engineering and in the in CAD and in front of my classroom, I had Legos and I had Play-Doh. And the dean said, what the heck is this for? I said, because not everybody can see in 3D, it's a gift. And for a lot of people, if you show a front elevation and a side elevation, they can't tell you what that top would look like. So they can build this, and in this way, they start getting that perceptual reality because you have to have that to be able to draw it. So those are instances where people 
learn about things differently and they need a vi different visual rep representation. They need a different representation to make it work for them. So I think that's where AI really stands to shine. You know, if you've got a kid that is struggling in math, right? They just read a word problem. It's killing them. Maybe they can go in AI and say, hey, explain this to me different. Explain it in the little segments I need. And then it changes a lot, right? So I think that we have to really think about the sets that we're building, what we're using for the original intelligence, right? And what we're using for those original language models, those original solution sets. And then we need people to play with that. And we need people to play with that that have all different backgrounds in all different ways. And that I think AI starts working for us and we start using that as a tool to help reach students that are just not getting it, right? There's, I mean, there's learning centers. That's all they do is help students that just don't get things in one way. And I think we have the opportunity to really, really broaden their horizons. And I think once you find somebody and you find the way that they learn, then their learning sets on fire, right? It's the first words you learn and you speak that somebody recognizes, right? Then the kids start speaking all kinds of words because now they've got that, that positive reinforcement, that feedback. And I think AI brings some of those tools to the table where we can really start doing that and helping people. I think it's gonna turn college on its ear. I really, really do. I mean, obviously there's gonna be people that need to code AI, but do they need all the other curriculum that goes along with it? And I think the answer is going to be no. And I think that that four year programs and college programs outside of some of the, you know, engineering, medical, things like that. I mean, most of our big tech companies have already dropped their degree requirements because there's only 14 percent of the adult working population today that has a four year or better degree that is not in legal or medical. That's it. Really? And we cannot fill all of those positions with that. So now if we start building AI to start doing the training for students, we can do it for the training for our organizations. We can do it for double checking. We can do it to take a lot of the minutia off of people's plates so they can be more innovative and do other things. So I think that there's a huge, huge upside. And I didn't mean to sound like I was being negative in the first one. When yes. I said Lancelot, I mean, I just think there's just so much that can be done. Um, but but I do think that we really have to look at coder bias. We need more coders involved. We need more people and perspectives involved because that way we stop some of that. You know, think of facial recognition, right? We have that same problem with people of color and facial recognition, right? And you know why? Because there were not enough people of color working on the facial recognition software. If we have those people involved, they become part of that language model. They become part of that language set. And then I think it works more for everybody. So that's kind of where I'm thinking along those lines. And I'm sure somebody else has a has a rebuttal. Thank but. you. Thank you. And, and if you think about it, ChatGPT is just celebrating its first birthday of public access, right? Interesting how our world has changed. We and, talk about And honestly, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say to that point, every single AI program that you go on to that's in the public face right now, the first page is, is a disclaimer screen because they're pulling just a couple years of information, right? Because that's when 90% of the world's yep. data was created. Now, granted, some of it's historical, but 90% of the world's data, data is in the last two years. And the way that they're farming that data, the very first page on every single screen is a disclaimer. And I think people have to realize that human connection is definitely still a part of all of those equations because you have to be able to interpret that. And critical thinking is something we've got to embrace. Thank you. 
All well said. Anybody have a quick comment before I move on? Bill or Julie or Courtney? Courtney wants to say something. I, She's go unmuted. ahead, Courtney. You first. Go ahead, Courtney, you and then Bill. I think we should embrace critical thinking for more reasons than just because of AI. <laughs> I I'm think we you. should just embrace critical thinking. <laughs> yeah, critical amen, thinking. amen across yeah. the board. Bill, yeah. go ahead. Just, just to add to Carrie, so, so our organization, Neuro, we help build and design and create large language models, small language models. We look at people's data sets, and one of the worst things an organization come to us and say is, I want it done quickly. I want it done in a week or two weeks without the true understanding of what it takes to fine-tune a model to drum roll to get rid of data bias. There is no situation that you would ever want where you ask your language model a question, you start to interact with your data, and there are unknown weights or biases placed on specific variables. That's the last thing that you would ever want. Now, it starts to get even more challenging, and Carrie, I'm so incredibly glad that you mentioned this. When we start taking a look at facial recognition, voice recognition, when it's designed by a certain demographic of people, you're going to have bias. Even if mm -hmm. it's completely unintended, you're going to have yes. this bias, um, which is actually part of the really big challenge. Carrie, several studies have been done where facial recognition tools have literally been, I don't want to call them racist, but it's because they weren't designed with the right people in mind or they were designed with a certain type of demographic where they had to pull some of these systems completely offline to re-engineer them. So when we start to take a look at, at the concept of, of bias in general, whether it's engineering, uh, data, or, or AI, it is your best effort to when you ask a question of data that you get the most reasonable and logical and equal-based answer on data. Ish, <laughs> Ish right? As close as you can, Ish. you know, pass the disclaimer screen. Um, but I'm, I'm so glad you, you mentioned that. And, and the remarkable thing is if you have time and a little bit of patience, you can get to a well-tuned, fine-tuned model where you test it and test it again, and you have very high accurate results with very low bias. Just got to have a little patience. Thank you very well, much. Well, you do, but, but yeah. and, to, and to Bill's point, too, I think this is where it really makes sense to have people of all different backgrounds that learned in different ways. Yes. Because the people that pick up and learn things in kind of a scrappy, hands-on manner are going to be very different than somebody that learned maybe in a formal college setting. But if we have all of our coders that were only trained through a single college program, we have engineered bias into the solutions mm -hmm. as opposed to taking it out of the solutions because we've taught everybody how to think, solve, and react. And that think, solve, and react then becomes part of code. And it becomes part of code and people that were all mm -hmm. educated in the exact same way. So we need all of those different experiences. Thank you very well, much. I want to I want to move on to uh, I want uh, where I'm looking at the clock. We got 13 minutes left, and we haven't uh -oh. done predictions yet we for Bill or last time. Courtney or this Julie. This is exactly what happened, happened last time. It's <laughs> just too much fun. So let me go to. I'm sorry to interrupt. I got to do this, uh, Courtney. I'm looking at your prediction number three. I'll put it in the chat for you. She says AI based economy. Now listen, AI based economies. We haven't talked about that. May become the next economic evolution beyond service-based economies, and students around the world will find specializing in AI will prepare them for economic mobility, similarly to how programming and web development did in the 80s, the 90s, and the aughts. Huge topic. We could do a whole show on that one, but you got three minutes. Courtney, go ahead. I'm clocking you. Okay, three minutes. <laughs> Let's talk about economic development, right? So the United States and other advanced economies are in what is known they are service-based economies that is considered the like most mm -hmm. recent uh the the most developed of economies 
And as economies start to embrace AI, they are going to change. That is undeniable. We don't know how they're going to change, but they will. And anybody who wants to participate in these advanced economies needs to be able to interact with AI in a meaningful and critical way. And so students need in some way or shape or form to understand AI, whether that is knowing how to code AI, whether that is just knowing how to ask questions and use AI, whether it's just understanding what AI is and what it does within the, the economic landscape. I think that we are really going to start to see some huge, and I put this in a different prediction, but see some huge gaps start to emerge between the global north and the global south as AI-based economies start to emerge. And students the world over really are going to need, if they want to have that economic mobility, they're going to need to understand AI or how to work with it within their chosen sphere. Very. Don't very you think different. that'll leapfrog mm -hmm. them, though? I think mm -hmm. that's such a leapfrog moment. Yes. Oh, I, I, I think that economic ability, mobility is, is fantastic for them. It's not a bad thing. It's just something that we need to be aware of and, and work toward and start to build into our curricula now so that the students that are graduating in, say, the next five years when AI is still taking baby steps aren't left behind when that leapfrog happens, because that's what ends up happening when people who graduate or start to enter the workforce at the very beginning of a technological revolution, they are going to see themselves be left behind by the advances in technology that they were not prepared for, for through school. And another way I'm looking at it, Courtney, is that the people who come out of AI intensive education who are really smart about it and with the diversity Carrie's talking about where we, mm -hmm. we we will level the bias because all the biases will be included in the model and there won't be any bias I hope anyway they will probably or possibly be the leaders of creating these AI based economies because they have the skills they have the knowledge they have the vision they have the dream they won't be mm -hmm. left behind They'll be the ones who are saying, now this is where we're heading. Now this will be the basis, the knowledge basis of how we put things together, how we build our infrastructure, how we approach learning and how we approach jobs. It will be an AI-based economy. They will own it. I want to yeah. move on. I want to move on. Uh, Bill, we've got, I'm looking at nine minutes left. Bill, I'm looking yeah. at prediction number two. Here you go. And Julie, I'll put yours in the chat in a second. Bill says, we are at the beginning of leveraging true ARVR solutions to create powerful learning experiences over the next five years. That's a hard and fast prediction there, Mr. Clayman. Right. Classrooms will incorporate AR to create immersive classrooms with deeper ways to learn new subjects. So go ahead, Bill, talk to us. It's it's immersive contextualized learning. Now, I, I don't have a lot of time to spend on this, but I need everyone to believe me. We learned a lot from from what happened during the pandemic. We, we really did. And, and we as technologists took a ton of notes uh, when the pandemic first happened, I received a phone call uh, and a text and an email, but then a phone call from one of my high school teachers. And this was her first class that she was doing on a Zoom. And she was she was crying and she was not having a good day. I can't start my class. I don't know how to do like a lobby um, help. And, you know, she turns to me, a dude who graduated like in 2002. And and she's like, I, I, I need your help. And I got on there. You know, I, I paused what I was doing at the time and I got on there and I helped her out. 
And if that is not ripping the the duct tape off, I was going to say Band-Aid. This is way more painful. <laughs> uh, ripping the duct tape off of what we need as, as you know, as a world. Um, this this prediction, as 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 fast and true as it is, it, it is very fast and true. We will be creating much more immersive, contextualized learning patterns for students all over the world, and the level of connectivity we're experiencing is going to help us bridge this connectivity gap that we have with emerging economy economies. Um, and even, you know, societies and communities that might be underprivileged. I'm, I'm excited about some of these solutions and our ability to subsidize them, bring them into more organizations. Uh, I'm sorry, more schools, um, you know, and, and going back to what just quick segue to what Courtney said, the economy of AI, that that is absolutely true. Over the next five years, large language model based applications, again, apps where you can ask the data a question is going to be as common as a traditional web application like Twitter or X, whatever they're calling it now. Um, so so that that's an important point. Now, these applications that I'm talking about right now, AR and VR, are going to be powered by AI models, large language models, where a student can put on a VR headset and through an interactive learning mechanism and say, hey, what is this that I'm looking at? Oh, well, that looks like an oak tree. Cool. How long? How old is it? Well, looking by the age and the, the tallness of this tree, it looks like it's about 10 years old. Wow, that's really cool. Uh, how, are oak trees native to this this location? Well, they are, but, you know, this type of oak trees, that, that's how deep of an immersive platform you can get to all of a sudden this child this individual is communicating with data and learning based on what is interesting to them at that moment it's learning with a direct consequence right so you're learning it's gamifying education through these advanced technologies it's i'm going on a rant here it's part of the reason why kids don't like to do homework you do homework and there's no immediate gratification or response you play a video game and there is an immediate gratification response this exact application of education is going to be done using technology where we yep. get an immediate positive reaction from learning from doing things yeah. that help us learn mm -hmm. Imagine I'm excited about that. that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I am going to move to Julie's prediction and let's, we're going to wrap it up after we've got six minutes left. So we're right on time here. Julie says there will be combination degrees in engineering and architecture and professors will educate via VR and ML to meet certain standards, both visually and technically, because technology has enabled the combined disciplines to work together in 2050. That's a ways off, Julie. So tell me, is it going to happen sooner? Go ahead. Three minutes. You know, it probably will. The thing, so the one thing I will say is I really see where AI, if you're, you know, looking at elements that work together, like architecture and engineering, you're going to be able to say, AI, act as an engineering expert. If I have more stronger artistic and kind of architectural skills, the AI, the machine learning, all of that is going to enable us to basically take maybe something that's not our strength and fill that gap. So I see where, you know, in the future, we'll have these symbiotic relationships between a lot of degrees, a lot of disciplines, you know, whether you're in medical and maybe you have uh, a surgery you need to do and you want to visualize something, maybe you want to try a new procedure out, you'll be able to do that ahead of time. And the, the reason I put 2050, there is one thing with AI that does concern me just from a technological standpoint, and is what if it's wrong? You know, even now, as we go through AI, that and critical utilize, thinking. <laughs> yeah, it goes back to, you know, the comments around critical thinking. What if it's wrong? 
you know, sometimes I think we take something that's on the internet, anything that we see in writing or anything that comes from technology and accept it as truth and real. So my concern with, you know, automatically saying all these wonderful things will happen so quickly is what if it's wrong? You know, we, I think that we would always need to, you know, as we go through testing and, you know, as you do any type of like program testing, you come to the end and I think it works. Okay, it works. But I think there needs to be that final statement of what if it's wrong? You know, if you're flying someone to mm -hmm. the moon, if we now have hotels in space, you know, or any other thing that I think, you know, the critical thing is, or what if something breaks? Like what, you know, again, going back to those critical thinking paths, I think that we need more um, kind of reviews of what if it's wrong? What if this doesn't work? How do you fix it? So I think the reason I, again, go back to kind of pushing it out, I think we'll be able to do it sooner, but I think it might take longer to be able to take and understand the reliability of what's there. Thank you very much. Thank you. Very interesting. And I will tell you that on a very, very simplistic sidebar to what you said, Julie, I often, a while ago, before I was doing poems for my monologues with ChatGPT, I would ask it for movie quotes on a certain topic fictional quotes well at one point it was saying well here's the name of real movies but i made up the characters and i made up the quotes and i said that's not what i wanted so i had to say fictional characters in real movies who really said this and it was still fighting me at one point it was giving me the wrong actor for a particular quote role or the wrong the wrong attribution to somebody who wasn't even saying it in that movie. So I learned to look up this stuff all the time. Now, mm -hmm. I know this is very trivial for what we're talking about, but I would go back to ChatGPT and I'd say, I'm sorry, Betty Davis wasn't in that movie. And ChatGPT would say, I apologize. I know it's not sentient, but it was trained in etiquette. I apologize for any confusion I caused. You are absolutely right. I don't know if it used the word absolutely. You are right. Betty Davis was not in that movie, but she was in this other movie and a similar line was, and it would find it for me. But we had this little dialogue as though we were two people chatting, Courtney. And, and it's saying, I'm sorry if I upset you, if I derailed you, if I caused you a problem. And I would say, thank you very much. So whenever I go on chat GPT, I'll say, I say, please and thank you. I'm very, very polite. Mm -hmm. I'll tell it, that was a great poem. My guests loved it. And I get back where I appreciate the compliment. What can I do for you today? I always say good morning, good afternoon. I even ask it, how are you? Because I was told if you're nice to AI, it will be nicer back to you. When they so take I think, over. <laughs> and I think part of it, to your point, is us learning how to use AI, right? Yes, it's the yes. right questions. Because mm -hmm. I will tell you, having played with it really, really extensively over the last three weeks. You got three seconds, How Gary. you frame a question is, is crazy. Absolutely. And text prompting, if prompt engineering is going to pop up as a whole new subset of tech education. I mean, I got 30 seconds. Everybody raise your finger, the no, no finger. And on the count of three, you're going to join me and say, no, no, no. People say the future was already here. And our answer is one, two, three. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> oh, you got it. That was perfect. Andrew, my engineer, that was one of the best. Mark it down, please. Mm -hmm. That's because that was yesterday's future. That was 
a nanosecond to coast future is already in the past. I said it already. The period, the common, the semicolon. I want to thank Carrie Getz. Wonderful. Courtney Pop. Wonderful. Bill Clayman. Always. I wish you'd get your energy back. Julie, I really, <laughs> I finally learned how to pronounce your name. And a shout out to Dr. Sharon Torrance-Jones. I hope you're okay. We missed you today. Bonnie D. signing off. Don't go away, pal. Thank you for joining us for Technology Revolution, the future of now. Mark your calendar to join host Bonnie D. Graham every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel to hear how technology is impacting your future now. Oh